0: IT professionals will get replaced by AI, robots, whatever you want to call it. But they've been doing it to themselves forever, and they will continue to do it to themselves. And if you're not looking now at stuff that you do today that could be automated in the future, watch out, because that's what I'm working on. I'm working on automating that.
1: Hello, and welcome to Explain It, brought to you by SoftCat. The show for IT professionals by IT professionals that aims to simplify the complex and often overcomplicated bits of enterprise IT without compromising on detail. I'm host Michael Bird and over the next 30 or so minutes I'll be challenging our panel of experts to take a different area of the IT ecosystem and of course explain it. In this episode we're going to be talking about the rise of the machines, specifically how this is and will affect organisations and individuals alike. And to help us uh, discuss we have Dean Gardner who is Softcat's Chief Technologist for Cloud. Dean, this is your second time on Series 2 of Explain It. What is your interesting fact for this episode?
2: I was in a band many years ago, recorded an album in 2004, and it is now available um, and has been available on digital download for anybody who wishes to seek out the Ds. The Ds? That's the one. Is the band still together? For drinking get-togethers, yeah. What do you play? I write, sing, and play guitar. (laughs)
1: Sorry to laugh. That's brilliant. And we've also got Joe Bagley, who is Vice President and Chief Technology Officer EMEA at VMware. Can you just explain what exactly a Vice President and Chief Technology Officer EMEA at VMware does?
0: So Chief Technology Officer at VMware, CTO stands for two things. The first thing is Chief Technology Officer, which is 50% of my time. And that is inbound working with our product teams, our development teams, and doing what I call connecting R&D in the field. The other 50% is Chief Talking Officer, which is (laughs) this. And all the other stuff that I do, which is sharing our strategy Strategy, making sure that our customers and our partners are understanding our strategy.
1: Excellent. So uh, we ask all of our guests to bring an interesting fact. So what is your interesting fact? Well, my interesting fact is I'm the current reigning UK champion of champions for fireworks.
0: So explain how that works. There's a competition every year in Plymouth. People enter teams, and so I'm part of a, a fireworks company actually called Star Fireworks, and we won in 2010. Which meant we went back in 2013 to compete to be champion of champions, which we won. And so we've had to wait six years until this year to go back and defend our title. So and that's what you are doing this year. Yeah, so we'll be back there in August to defend our title. Give you an idea of the scale of it. If you go and see one of your normal sort of school firework displays, that's probably about 25 to 30 kilos of explosive in that 20-minute display. We use 550 kilos in 10 minutes for the competition. So wow. big. Wow. <laughs>
1: Okay, uh, so uh, let's get on with the show. And we talked um, earlier in the season, I think it was episode two, um, about AI and machine learning. We we talked really practically about what it is, uh, but we didn't go into too much detail about the ethics of it all. So I guess my first question is, will a robot replace the job of an IT professional?
0: Yes, but in a way that it already has and always will do.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. It depends what the IT professional does, of course, but um, a lot of tasks that happen in IT it's fair to say, have or are being automated, understanding some of those tasks, and then obviously using certain technologies to replace those tasks, frees up those people to do more stuff with essentially the business they're working in. It's, it's a process of abstraction.
0: You know, we continue to abstract ourselves and automate ourselves, and that's essentially what I what we do as an administrator, as an IT professional. Quite a lot of what you're doing, oh God, I have to do this every Thursday. I'm going to write a script to do it, you mm-hmm. know, and then I'm going to find a piece of software that does it for me, and then I'm going to find it, and so on and so forth. So, what you do is ultimately, you're not automating yourself out of a job. What you're doing is you're automating the tedious part of your job, so you can focus on the more interesting bits. And so, you put that together with an increase in intelligent, clever AI-based management software across all these systems and then you start to say okay fine well now I can automate away some of the boring stuff I can now get involved some of the new exciting stuff and why are you automating scale right you've gone from a sysadmin that managed four five six ten servers and knew the names of every single one of them and handcrafted and configured them themselves which is kind of where I started all the way up to now they're probably going to have to manage tens of thousands of containers as well as managing a whole bunch of VMs as well as managing a whole bunch of elements across multiple clouds and so as you enter into this multi-cloud world with applications distributed across multiple locations and at the same time when you look at it from a security perspective which people don't tend to look at either the world of perimeter-based security is long dead right so you cannot do multi-endpoint multi-cloud security without some level of automation so the answer is yes IT professionals will get replaced by AI, robots, whatever you want to call it, right? But they've been doing it to themselves forever, and they will continue to do it to themselves. And if you're not looking now at stuff that you do today that could be automated in the future, watch out, because that's what I'm working on. I'm working on automating that. And, you know, I present to VMware user groups all the time, and for many years I've warned them that the stuff you're doing today you're not going to be doing in five years time which is true because the stuff you do today is very different to the stuff you did five years ago Mm. right so i'm not i'm not you know being horrible here if you think about what you did today it's very different to what you did five years ago so get on that
1: in terms of you know replacing people why do you think that is why do you think that's going to be happening or that is happening
0: Well, you're looking at two types of AI, right? So there's generalist AI or AGI or artificial general intelligence, whatever you want to call it. And that's essentially trying to create an entire human brain equivalent. We are years away from that. As in an entirely autonomous operating human brain that does everything, you know, we're a long way away from that. Flip that on the other side, you've got task-specific AI. What that is, is where we've got AI that's focused on one particular thing really good example, something like Google Home or Alexa, which, you know, if you've got this on a loudspeaker in your home, I'm sorry for what I just did. Um, <laughs> and, and what that is doing is that can make people think they're talking to an AGI, but actually they're not. They're talking to something that's really good at language and, and, and you know, specific, but it can't do anything else than that. So we have to be very careful as we go forward of people not confusing a task-specific AI that's particularly good that can make you think you're talking to or dealing with or whatever, some kind of human, and something that actually is a true AGI. So we're a long way away from a true AGI that would replace everything you've done today, including getting up out of bed, driving to work, whatever that is. But we're certainly at the point where we can, you know, replace someone sat there talking on a microphone to other people. That that can be done
1: presumably where we are today there must be some limitations like can ai and can machines be creative maybe that's a bit more of a i don't know a bit more of an existential question about being creative but can can machines do that can can you know are we there yet
2: i'd say no i mean i know joe's chatted to us before about the way that a machine will learn and You have to put data in for that data to be essentially understood by the machine. But the key thing is the machine can learn and understand the context of the data as long as the data is in there. And obviously it can then cross-reference that data quicker than the human brain. But it needs to be kind of tasked with that, essentially you can get an answer to something quicker and we're seeing that in the legal profession we're seeing that in medical um, and other 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 sections of industry that's taken advantage of being able to run through loads of data using very heavy compute processing to produce an answer quicker than we could ever comprehend or even read so that's kind of where i think it is today and we're seeing a lot of organizations trying to take advantage of that kind of stuff hmm.
0: and i think that's that's the real that's the real rub of when you get to the, the ethics or where we are in terms of ai development now i don't think ai are going to do what i call the arts and hearts piece i really don't I think that's where humans are going to differentiate themselves from AI going forward, that creative piece, whether that's creating art or whether that's empathy or love or whatever those other sort of unquantifiable emotions that we as humans have spent thousands of years trying to define ourselves, you know, and is almost something I don't think we're going to get to with, with an AI. The reason why everyone's so excited about AI right now is because of two things. We've got an ability to do large amounts of computation and we've got an ability to store large amounts of data which we didn't have before. The algorithms aren't new either. So the concept around DNNs, the concept of essentially what's going on in this is stuff that we were learning at university in the early 90s and and before. It's nothing new. What we've got now is we've now got the compute power to do it and the data sets to pump through it. And the data sets are great because they've come from a large number of humans connecting themselves to the internet and basically uploading pictures and everything about themselves to these huge data sets. And the compute, obviously, cloud, and we all know that story. So finally, you're down to this point where we can actually run these experiments with large data sets, etc. And I think the best way to describe what the difference is, is, you know, I can get a four-year-old and show them three pictures of a cat, right? Three different cats go cat, cat, cat. They go, oh, cat, cat, cat. And then I'll show them a fourth picture and they'll tell me whether that's a cat or a dog. You can't do that with a computer. I have to show it several hundred thousand pictures of a cat before it will then even be able to possibly recognize a cat that it's never seen before. And that's what I mean by we need these large data sets, and whether that's large data sets of legal documents, whether it's large data sets or whatever, teaching, because the way that we've structured, you know, essentially DNN, the way that machine learning works, the way that, you know, the regression tuning works, etc. We need to get these data sets and put them essentially backwards and forwards through these machines multiple times to actually start to tune them. We can now do that. and We can do that at a scale that was never done before. That's why we're all getting excited about AI, because we're starting to see these task-specific AIs popping up doing these cool things that have been specifically trained around a specific model and people get really excited
1: let's take this down then to an organization level what can an organization do to ready themselves for this rise of the machines or maybe that the counter question is is it already here
2: so in some industries yeah i mean things like cars and car factory lines or my brother-in-law works for in a, in a company that produces paints etc and there's, there's loads of automation and robots if you like and human interaction in those and they've been doing that for years i mean you go back 100 years ago when they were making cars it was all people as the, the time's gone on, robotics and automation have taken over to do some of that. And obviously, you look at the way they run their businesses and it's it's all taking that data and obviously then having to learn how to do things better. So I think a lot of those organisations have already been using automation and robotics in their manufacturing. And obviously now what they're trying to do is to kind of do stuff that learns from what it's, what's happening within those environments to create efficiencies and improve those things. So I think it's been around for a while and it's just evolving and it's now starting to touch into almost white collar business. And I think that's the difference, really, is that organisations now are starting to use uh, cloud and compute processing to do stuff that historically probably wouldn't have thought was relevant or possible. And I think that's kind of Mm. where we are a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's that famous quote about the future's here, it's just not, you know, the future's already here, it's just not evenly distributed, right? So, yes. you know, the, the, all the stuff we're looking at already exists in pockets. We've had automation for years. Is is that really AI? Is that robotics? You know, I'm not sure, because it's not exactly getting insight, it's just automation. I think what we're looking at now is, the, the good word is insight, where something gives you insight into, into data sets. And so, specifically your question, how can people prepare themselves, how do enterprises prepare themselves, well... Actually, you need to start looking at the data that your enterprise has and make sure that it's accessible. Because if you truly want to gain insight into using ai to to change what you do as a business then you need to feed the machine data so you need to make sure that your data is easily accessible packaged up whatever it is in a way that's going to provide rapid ingestion and insight so i'm seeing a lot of work at the moment in companies as they start to look across their data sets and start to pull things out you know and that that explains the rise of companies like mongo and others as they start to put these layers across these data sets to make it almost easier easier to play with so that's that's you know, one way I'd say you know you need to prepare for these kind of things. The other thing is that we're looking at where can Insight make a difference. And you talked about moving up into the white-collar space. That's a really interesting point because most people seem to think that it's, it's I hate say it's very classist, but it's the blue-collar, it's the lower-end jobs that are going to get replaced. Well, to a point, right? So, yes, we've already seen those. You've got automated tills in Sainsbury's. But when you look at that, what actually is going to really hit is the middle management stuff. And so this is where the AI piece comes interesting, because I don't need AI to replace those jobs. AI starts to replace some of those those type of jobs in, you know, driving, et cetera, as we go forward, but the middle management piece is where they should need to be really scared. And what I mean there is, if you think about how management works in most companies, you've got a layer at the top that runs the company, makes strategic decisions. You've got the layer at the bottom that's doing the real work, whether that's going out doing the sales, whether whatever it is, you know, think in the context of something like SoftCat, for example. And in the middle, there's a bunch of people managing things. Now, what managing things actually is, is taking a bunch of data inputs and making decisions based on those data inputs, right? And so you think, well, actually, how much of the managing things could I replace? The example I always use is restaurants. The, the job of a restaurant manager is to say, OK, well, it's Thursday coming up and Friday. I'm planning ahead for the week. So I need to make sure I've got the right staff on at the right time. I've got the right amount of food in. I'm going to look at the weather, et etc. Et those are all things I can do with a computer. And all those insights and decisions are things I can then do at the computer. Now, does that mean the restaurant manager gets replaced? Probably not, actually. What it means is, and this is where we get to the crux of what we're talking about here, it means we can augment restaurant managers with better intelligence. So the boring stuff like working out the rotors and working out how much food to order can become automated, so then the restaurant manager can focus more on the arts and hearts part of their job, be better at being out front of house, making sure customers are improving the service level, rather than if you go in most restaurants, they're sat in the back looking at spreadsheets and playing with paper. And so you think across the board in this white-collar world, where could we improve the arts and hearts element and enable the humans to spend more time on that, more time managing their people, more time making sure the customer service levels are up, et cetera, et cetera, and less time on the administrivia, which we can
2: automate using AI that provides insights on data. And and we're seeing that a lot of our customers at the moment where, you know, organizations, they turn around and say, we might want to look at cloud technology. We might want to leverage some of that capability. How can I use that? And so we're being tasked with understanding what they're doing. You know, what what do your users use on the desktop? What do your users do within your organization to provide the service you're doing to your customers? You'd expect the organization and the teams we're talking to to know some of that. And, and it's amazing how many just don't. So it's so kind of getting under the, the hood of what you're doing as a business to serve the customer or the consumer. And when you challenge that and you start getting into that world that does become quite disruptive in some cases.
0: Oh, I, I think about it. So in that point, you know, talking about the customer service element, and that really makes a difference to me for customers, for, for how I engage with organizations. Because if you think about it in your daily life, a lot of what we now do, the choices we make on the, on the companies that we deal with, is to a large extent based around the service level that we get from them and the experience, right, rather than the product. And so when I see this focus in the industry of, oh, we can use AI for chatbots, online chatbots, and we can have all the humans that we sell to talking to computers, and and you think, well, actually, what if you used AI in other areas of your business that enabled more humans in your organization to spend more time with your customers? That might be better.
1: So are you saying that with the rise in AI machine learning, what we're going to see more in organizations is less just stuff being automated for automation's sake? Actually, it's going to be used to provide a better experience to their customers.
0: So it's about empowerment, right? So it's about augmenting humans with other technology. And so if you go back in history, you know, let's go back to before any technology whatsoever, like literally nothing. It was <laughs> the whole human waste was based on muscle power. If we go back to really sort of tribal times back to you know thousands of years the the people who are in charge of the people who were the, the largest bloke in the village which was basically the boss right because because they smacked everyone else about and then ultimately other people got alongside them with more muscle and they had they augmented their muscle with other human muscle and that's how you ended up with the system we have today and we can get into the all properties theft but that's a whole separate conversation but ultimately <laughs> you know they beat up the village next door got bigger and so on and so forth so what we had was humans competing on muscle power then what we did was we started to find ways to augment our muscles with first of all other muscles from bigger stronger animals and then we decided we could build our own machines that could replace that muscle so suddenly that's when factories of the industrial revolution happened if you look at the industrial revolution it's part about automation but it's a lot of it's about replacing human muscle power with steam and other things that actually provided energy to create things in a more intelligent way so ultimately we were augmenting the only method we have of actually doing things we wanted to do which was to eat food and turn it into power in our muscles to actually creating machines that augmented us so you think about that so we augmented ourselves as humans with muscles so actually now it's not who's got who's the biggest bloke in the village but actually it's now who's the brightest bloke in the village because who's the one that can think best about how to use these machines to their advantage in a way that makes more intelligent and that's the whole that's the industrial revolution you know in a nutshell yeah. is the bright and intelligent people not necessarily the strongest people were the ones that won that then allowed one you know more leisure time and allowed a sort of and intelligentsia to rise up but then we started to say okay well what's the next phase after that and you can hear in the second industrial revolution third if you speak to somewhere in the fourth i don't really care but basically what happened since is we've had this knowledge explosion i suppose with the use of computers so now what you've got people doing is is starting to not compete on brain power anymore because of what we're doing now is we augmented ourselves you know the muscles and that's it so now we're you know competing on brain power now i can have an augmented brain do you remember when you were at school, of the older ones in the in the audience, you had a calculator, and I had that argument with your teacher, and the teacher was, you go, well, you're never always going to have a calculator in your pocket, are you? You need to learn how to do this. I'm like, well, no, we do. We all walk around with calculators in our pockets, and actually, more importantly, we all walk around with most of human knowledge and an incredible amount of everything else you can imagine connected to us in our pockets in a mobile phone. So we're all augmented humans today. So what do we compete on next? Because we've augmented our brains, so that comes back to my arts and hearts point. So now, back to the point... What you're now seeing is people competing on the Arts and Hearts piece. And what's the Arts and Hearts piece? That's service. It's how you feel.
1: Yeah. And so do you not think a machine would ever be able to do the Arts and Hearts stuff?
0: No. Honestly, I'm taking a stand on that. I don't think they will. Agreed.
1: What about if you're on a telephone conversation with someone and that someone is a robot but you're not aware of it?
2: But well, they're trying that at the moment. you know they've created you know studies where they can you react and the way they they talk can change based on an emotional response. We'll probably get there. I think that's where we talk about the morals and the ethics. I, I don't necessarily think it will it will sit very well
1: let's just talk practically then for organisations how practically can they prepare themselves for this you know is it is it a thought process is it something they need to they need to purchase we talked about data sets is it is it to do with that as well
2: uh, to me it's very much data driven number one um, i do think there is an element where organisations need to understand what tasks people are doing because there are tasks that can be automated a lot of stuff that people do in a given week do they necessarily need to continue to do it manually? And that's not so much AI, but that's certainly is there a machine that could do something in a repeated task model? And, and that is that is a yes. And and I think if you get to a point where you can take over those repeatable tasks and automate them, that's when you can start doing some of the stuff that Joe mentioned earlier. You can, as a business, start focusing on the person you're, you're providing your business for. And I think that that's where a lot of organizations, they're nowhere near that because they get into a habit of just doing what they do because that's what people do. They come to work, they do what they do, they go home. And actually get challenging that businesses, if they want to change and transform, in most cases, they have to start looking at that.
1: And at what point do they do they look at their workforce and review their workforce and say, OK, well, these are some of the jobs that we can maybe augment or replace. That should be a continual process.
0: I mean, I, I wouldn't see whether there'd be a point where you start or stop that, to be honest, is something you should do in an organisation. You know, ultimately, I think the, the bottom line is, is you know, Dean Spawn, get ready for automation. And the point is, if you're actually, if
2: you're getting ready for automation now, what the hell have you been doing for the last 25 years? Well, look at, look at retail, retail, <laughs> we keep, we always cite back to the retail market and you see how disruptive, you know, technology has been to that. And that continues to, and that's a lot of it's down to the fact that they've had high street, a lot of the high street stores, they've just gone out, ah, you know, it happened with the music industry. Ah, it won't, won't affect us. And, and the fact is, they, it's because they never looked at it. They never looked at what they were doing. But someone came along and said, well, we can do it better.
0: Retail's a really good example because I, I'm, I'm fed up with people bemoaning the death of the high street, right? And that's been bemoaned since the, we had a high street. The interesting thing is the high street is evolving with technology and it's evolving with society. So people complain, oh, you know, let's look at Marlowe software, Softcast based. Or people continue to complain that all the shops are shutting down and everyone's opening up coffee shops. Yeah, that's what's happening because shops that sell things... Don't make sense in a lot of cases anymore because I can get those things delivered to my front door because I can order them from my mobile phone from home. So why would I bother going to a shop to buy a thing? Now, what's the high street now filling up with? Well, it's filling up with services and experiences that I can't buy on the Internet or get delivered to my house. That's a change in society and that's a change in retail thanks to technology. Now, if you want to flip that and go, okay, fine. Well, what's happening in, in organizations and customers? It's the same story. Things continually change. And so you've got to map to those changes. When you look at that and you go, okay, this now talks to organizations and it talks to individuals. It's how do we prepare ourselves for the future because the future is going to get changing faster and faster. So what do I have to do? What I have to be, and the key word I'm hearing more and more is resilience. I have to build resilience into my organization. I have to build resilience into my people. I have to build resilience into myself such that as change comes, I am resilient and adaptable to change.
1: Okay, so um, we've probably kind of covered this already, but can can we can you give me a bit of a timeline as to where we are today and where we're going to get to in the future and when that future is going to be?
2: As I said two years ago, could we have predicted we'd have certain jobs, as I said, we have today in our organisation? No. And actually, people who run our business were going, why do we need that? You can make some short-term predictions, but the industry is changing and it's moving so far. So, So how do you then say, I need 10 of this for something that's going to happen in two years? it doesn't work like that. So it's how you react and how you uh, adjust what you're doing as a business to, to, to kind of meet the consumer or meet the customer. And we're having to do that. And the only way we can do that is by harvesting and managing the data to then see where the trends are. And at that point, you've got to be in a position where you can move. I do think there's an as, as a, as a, as a technical skills challenge in, in the world anyway, and you know, there's gaps in terms of what's required. And I think that potentially stifling certain change. And I think that's the biggest kind of blocker essentially of, of, of accelerating that change is technical skills and actually education even at school level i do think there's a gap and that's partly because you can't predict
0: yeah and i think uh, you know it was Niels Bohr. The, the quote was prediction is difficult especially about the future um <laughs> which I, I like quite a lot uh, and you, you're you're spot on i think the the future prediction bit is difficult, but it comes back to what I said about resilience. Yeah, and it really is about resilience. You talk about school curriculums is very important when when I you know I often in my position, and so I'm sure you do get asked, you know, is it important to get kids to do coding? What do you do? All this kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, actually, I don't think we should teach our kids to code. Like, well, Why not? Well, because by the time the kids we're teaching now to code get to job, they won't need to code because the computers will be coding themselves. I think if you're preparing yourself for the future, you need other skill sets. And it's you know I'm on a lot of panels where people say, you know, if you go back and do it again, what would you study? And a lot of technologists sit next to me and say they'd wish they'd studied psychology or something along those lines. Because ultimately, if you look at this conversation we've had, a lot of it comes back to human interaction. So, yeah, how do we prepare ourselves for the future and what's the future gonna come? I don't know. There's no timelines to it. People can't get even the best people in the world can't get the timelines. I mean, Elon Musk has been has been promising Full automated driving now for three years that he's promised that he's going to drive from, he's going to do this automated drive from one side of the country to the other in America that still hasn't happened because of various problems they keep hitting. It's not any failure on their part, it's just, you know, these things are hard and they're going to take time and and things are difficult to do. So, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff going on, but yeah, timelines, who knows? You know,
2: really, it's not the time to say. But it's happening. It's going to happen. Things are going to evolve and you just need to adapt in some way, to that change. And also, I think there's an element of education and learning yourself, you know, and I think there's a a responsibility, certainly, I think, in the the role that i suppose i do and joe does is that you know we, we've we've been doing it for a long time so there's kind of foundational skills that we've gone through the last 25 years with which has kind of got us to the point where we understand you know <laughs> tokenary networks mm. um but but um but th- th- the point is they're not relevant anymore but it just it just gives us the foundational skill i think to to learn and that's what we've had to do over the years i certainly have had to learn and, and evolve myself to understand what's happening and i think we have a responsibility individually to do that it's a resilience
0: okay and so people if you get it people ask me you know what what you know mentoring and other stuff you know what makes you a cto what mean and i'd say it's an it's a never-ending curiosity and, and a fascination with with tech you know and you know that people like myself are going to be up there always at the front with this never-ending curiosity this fascination with tech this always wanted to play with the latest thing find out what the latest thing is learn it understand it etc work out how i can make the most of it and move on how do you teach those skills to others I don't know. I think you, you do it over time, but you have there's a passion thing in there that that's very different from an organizational perspective. How do you get an organization
2: passionate and curious? That's that's really interesting. But, but That comes back to the human piece, inspiring people to want to be to, to, to want to kind of change or to, to evolve and, and inspiring them to be curious and, and, and not to be fearful of that or fearful of change. I just think that people need to in, in, in business understand that it's happening and it's how you address that. Um, and the resilience, I think, is, is, is a good point Yeah, about, about that. And
0: fill your company with people smarter and more curious than you. Those curious and excited organisations are the ones that are going to win. Okay, so uh, to summarise, Joe? Well, I think if you look at the whole conversation we've had, whether you're an IT professional or whether it's just talking about general day-to-day human life or whether it's how your organisation is going to change, it's a story of augmentation, right? It's a story of improvement. It's a story of how do you... Use technology to be better, to do better, to do bigger, to do faster, whatever it is. And I just think we shouldn't be scared of what we're talking about here. Everything we've talked about, there's going to be ethical concerns. There are ethical concerns with the printing press, right? You know, all technology has these ethical concerns. But ultimately, not to be afraid of it. Wherever you are, whatever you do, whatever you're thinking about, how do I use this to augment what I'm doing? How do I use this to improve? And, and a lot of this is with the conversation we've gone through, has come down to improving human interactions, and I think that's really important because you're seeing a lot more focus nowadays as what we're doing on human interactions, on service levels, on all those kind of things, and so
2: this is just going to help that. Dean. So yeah, I mean, we we, we talked about um, how you can give more uh, emotional, free up people to do more, and inspire, and and make them resilient, um, but Ultimately, the future is unknown. We don't know what's going to happen. It's difficult to predict, but all we know there is going to be change. And it's actually being able to um, meet those changes in, in, in the way that's a positive and not a negative um, and, and focus on the good and not what the bad is. You're going to get things that happen. It's going to be, as we have mentioned, ethical dilemm- dilemmas, but it's being able to kind of plough through those things to actually provide something that's better society that's better a world that's better and technology should be a a force for goods and i think we should focus on that and that's the only way we can try and help the future as opposed to predict it.
1: Well, uh, Dean and Joe, thank you so much for your time. It's really fascinating talking to you both. Uh, listeners, uh, if there's anything on the show that has piqued your interest, um, do check out the show notes. We'll provide some useful links uh, and some more info related to what we've covered in this podcast. Also, make sure you click subscribe wherever you get your podcast and we'll deliver the next show to your device as soon as it lands. So you've been listening to Explain It from Softcap. Thank you very much and goodbye.